Welcome to the Tech Policy Podcast. I'm Evan Swartzdrauber. On today's show, setting the price that a business pays for broadband when it comes to so-called special access services. Should businesses that provide broadband service be the ones to decide how much it costs, or should the FCC be meddling in that decision? Joining me to discuss this is Bruce Melman, co-chair of the Internet Innovation Alliance. Bruce, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. So before we get into the whole issue of what the FCC is proposing, special access services, this is not your typical broadband connection that you get at home, where you have either a telephone company, a cable company, or a fiber company, you pay for a certain speed and that's what you get. These are business services, like, uh, you know, when you see a secretary answering the phone or kind of, it's regulated in a different way. So why does the FCC take a different approach to special access than home broadband, or what are these services? So the FCC's approach, more than anything else, reflects a legacy mindset, legacy regulations, and, and, and a world that is no more. I mean, first and foremost, the services you're likely to get at your business are not all that different than the services you're likely to get home. It's high-speed data. And with people wanting to have uh, mobile HD video, the capacity you need for that's not all that different than the capacity you're going to need at your office or at work. Um, though, of course, if a business is large enough, then just by sheer volume, they may seek a greater capacity and greater uh, bandwidth in the aggregate than you might in your home. But what consumers receive and what they do with it's not all that different. I would also note when you talked about those providing services to consumers, wireless is increasingly a huge provider. Right. Yeah. Wireless broadband is increasingly becoming a viable substitute for wireline broadband. And when we talk about 5G speed, those speeds might be fairly comparable to what you have in your home at, at, at its best, if not better. Um, but before I uh, screwed this show up by uh, not having enough memory on the card, <laughs> you had said something about wh- uh, how these services came about. So there was the AT&T monopoly that got broken up. So in the immediate aftermath of that, you had a bunch of little monopolies where businesses could go there to get the business data services they needed. But because it was just a monopoly being broken up into smaller companies, most only had one option, but that's not the case anymore. Not even close to the case. And and the core challenge that we're finding is uh, in this summer of movie remakes that we have the FCC seeking to go back to the future. They seem to believe that we're looking at a marketplace that is reminiscent of the 90s as opposed to the marketplace of today. The reality is both in business services and in consumer services, we have the most competitive marketplace for high-speed data that we've ever had in the history of the country. And uh, whether for uh, political uh, supporters or for just a worldview that hasn't evolved to the last decade, the FCC is dead set on concluding that there is insufficient competition and therefore a requirement of governmental intervention and, uh, and rule setting that, that is inconsistent with what observers of the contemporary marketplace see and is inconsistent with what the last decade's lesson about getting investment uh, demonstrates. And um, the FCC likes to gripe about a lack of competition. And in the immediate aftermath of the AT&T breakup, maybe it was true that a business only had one option. They could go to their telephone provider for the service. So there was a potential, potentially it was justifiable that the FCC would say, we're going to regulate the price and the way we're going to get competition is by forcing the phone company to resell its service at a lower rate, potentially lower than market value. Uh, But that's not the case anymore. Now you have similar to in the residential broadband space, you have multiple pipes. You have cable companies getting into this game. 
why does the FCC not take into account cable companies selling the same services as telephone companies as competition? Well, uh, originally what the FCC was trying to conclude was that the services the cable companies were providing, they determined were, were uh, best efforts to provide high speed as opposed to actually best speed. Uh, some of that would be accurate if you were 10 years ago. Interestingly, the FCC's current proposed regulations are based on 2013 data. Un that's inconsistent with the actual real 2016 data, and, we, and proof of that is uh, all of the cable companies have recently filed with the FCC amendments to the data they had previously submitted. And they said, hey, by the way, uh, the record that you're looking at from 2013 doesn't really reflect the Metro Ethernet, um, which is available in 22 times as many census blocks as was reflected in the cable company's original responses. So the fact is, the marketplace is significantly more competitive than when originally special access requirements, when it was just monopolies, were put forward. You have more competitors offering better services. But it's even more competitive than the data the FCC is based on, which is 2013 data. And we're talking about technology, so it might sound silly for us to complain that they're using three-year-old data, but things move very fast. And you could justify all sorts of regulation if you go back to pre-market effects. If you say, before this great thing that happened in the marketplace, we're just going to ignore that, go back to a year when that wasn't going on, and then base our 2016 regulations on 2013 data, how does the commission even justify this if the data, the new data are available? As you say, they've been filed by the telecoms. So the only logical answer the FCC could give is, sorry, we're government and therefore we're really slow. <laughs> now, the idea that you're going to impose new regulations on a vibrant, competitive telecommunications marketplace where the core need is for more investment, even when you know those regulations will chill investment, and you do it based on old data and conclude we just can't do any better because we're the government, it certainly uh, helps you understand where a more libertarian or more conservative worldview may come that suggests government needs to get out of the way. So is this basically an effort to save these resellers? I mean, are they in jeopardy? So if we allow the free market thing to happen, and that would be the incumbent local exchange carriers, that's part of the jargon of this issue set, ILEX, that's your phone company that resulted from the AT&T monopoly breakup, likely. If they want to get rid of these copper networks that they've been forced to keep around and resell to these, th to these resellers, they want to move to fiber. Is that going to put a lot of these resellers out of business, the people that you know take the service and just kind of reconfigure it in some type of way and sell the same exact pipe over and over again. That's the kind of artificial competition. Is the FCC just trying to preserve that because they know that these CLEX, the competitive local exchanges, will go out of business if the market's allowed to work properly? I think you have a couple of different motivations. I mean, first and foremost, I believe the chairman and the two Democrats who are voting with them along party lines are sincere in their motivations. They genuinely want a competitive marketplace. Why they choose to ignore the reality that it is a competitive marketplace right now, I suppose they can answer better than I can. But I don't think their motivations are wrong. They're just factually wrong. As for the folks you're describing, there is no doubt that once these regulations were proposed more than 20 years ago, an entire industry of companies arose that concluded we don't need to invest in deploying and building and maintaining networks that cost a lot of money, that's complicated, and under these rules, we can just free ride. And we can wait, and when the incumbent carriers connect uh, businesses to the, uh, to the network, 
they can then just resell those services over the network. And the FCC realized, well, this is a problem. And in the early 2000s, they realized we're not getting the investment we want. So they can, came up with a new regulatory framework. And the new framework said that for fiber and advanced investment, there would not be these same regulations. But for the legacy once upon a time monopoly copper networks, the incumbents had to keep maintaining them. But they would, while they would share the copper networks, they wouldn't need to share the fiber networks. And shockingly, tens of billions, hundreds of billions of dollars got invested in the new networks. That's where these fast new networks have come from. You also saw cable companies getting into the mix and wireless companies getting into the mix. And suddenly we have this robust, fantastic environment for these competitive local exchange carriers, the Selex, whose business model was don't invest in the infrastructure, just free ride over the copper. They are increasingly realizing that free riding over yesterday's technology is not a great business model. And they're forced with face with a face with a choice. They could invest in their own networks and be competitive. And to give them credit, Google Fiber did that. They said, we're going to go in certain areas and we're going to invest a better network. And they forced everybody else to raise their game. But a whole lot of these competitive local exchange carriers went the other direction and said, we're going to invest in lobbyists, we're going to invest in lawyers, and we're going to invest in trying to have the regulatory regime extended to fiber. And that's what the FCC has proposed, taking the regulatory regime that once upon a time was for the monopoly copper that remained in place because the monopoly copper remained in place uh, and that now these competitors uh, find inadequate and they want forced uh, resale of the more advanced networks that were built precisely based upon the guarantee they wouldn't be regulated. Right. So there's a real distinct worldview between two different sides of the aisle kind of emerging here. So, you know, someone like you, you might look at a telephone company, fiber company, cable company, building out a bunch of infrastructure, putting in the work. And this is not easy work. You have to deal with local regulations. You have to deal with state regulations. You have to deal with federal regulations. People take for granted what it takes to build a broadband network. It's expensive. And generally, that should mean that that company has some level of control over what happens to that network after they've built it. Then there's a different worldview where you allow the unregulated marketplace to go freely, benefit from that, billions of dollars of investment, just like you said, in the wireless and in the cable and in the fiber, precisely because they were not regulated like the old copper, and then wait for all that success to happen. And then after it happens, be, oh, great, this is now way too essential to the world to be left in private hands that we definitely need to regulate it. I mean, it's almost like you're a victim of your own success. Once you build something that's really great and people start to rely on it, all of a sudden the government has to come in and regulate your prices. Now, you're, of course, right. And the other undesired effect that we're seeing, frankly, with Verizon, which once upon a time was an incumbent carrier, but seeing how the FCC regulated, they made uh, perhaps predictable market decisions, but very bad decisions for consumers to stop operating the incumbent networks. They sold their facilities off. Uh, to Frontier and others, and now their special pleading saying, you know what, there ought to be regulated access to rates because they've stopped investing in these uh, business service networks, and they're now seeking uh, regulated uh, access to them. Same as uh, British Telecom. If you take a look at British Telecom in the UK is uh, arguing against being forced to share their facilities because it costs a lot, because it's not a competitive marketplace, and everywhere outside of the UK where they don't maintain the facilities, they're seeking regulated low-rate access to everybody else's network. It's, it's a uh, reasonable, rational business strategy for a competitor, but the government shouldn't be choosing sides. The government shouldn't be picking winners. The government should be setting 
incentives so that folks know if they invest in the networks that we want and that we need, they can get a reasonable rate of return. And we're not in a monopoly environment. We're in a highly competitive environment. The, system, the market is working. So it's befuddling that the FCC on their way out the door here is seeking regulations that uh, presume a marketplace that we're 10 to 20 years past. Right. So we've covered the, the main crux of the issue, which is that fiber has been not or fiber and cable have not been regulated in this way in the business broadband space you could argue that a lot of the investment we've seen in that area is precisely because of the lack of regulation or the light touch uh, we had Hal Singer of uh, formerly of the Progressive Policy Institute now at George Washington University on our show to discuss this issue a while back before the FCC put out its proposal and he was talking about how rate regulating fiber might just discourage companies from investing in the fiber because now if they're forced to maintain the old network which costs money and they're going to basically have to operate the new network as the old network why bother i mean you could wait it out see if a new fcc changes its mind see what congress does that's the type of thing we see with uncertainty is a business would be crazy to go dump a bunch of money into fiber right now when they have no idea what's going to happen so there's also this other issue the fcc brought up about how many feet away is a connection? And Fred Campbell um, wrote a piece uh, for Forbes. I remember, I think the headline was when 88 feet is a market failure. I mean, what are we talking about with this distance thing with the FCC and how can they set a, we're basically saying, look, if the competitive local exchange carrier, the CLEC, the reseller is too far away from a building or something like that, then it's a market failure. Can you explain a little bit what the, why the FCC is so obsessed with how far away things are from each other? Well, again, this goes to, uh, if you want to provide services in an area, you need to be physically in the area. And if you're a CLEC, if you're a competitive exchange carrier and you're uh, a miles away from the, uh, the, the core infrastructure that the incumbent once upon a time had put in place, then, then, um, you can make a better market case for why you're going to need regulated rate of return and you have no alternative. You can't really invest in your, by yourself because it would take uh, the, uh, the guaranteed monopolistic returns of yesteryear for you to make that kind of investment. But the reality is um, that uh, by its own data, by the FCC's own data, the C-like infrastructure that could be uh, extended to businesses within 17 feet, 25%, and 75% of the businesses that they want to connect to are within 456 feet. The fact of the matter is, uh, the, the core challenge here is that for most of these CLECs, it's not in their business plan to invest in infrastructure. They, want, they invest in lobbying and getting the FCC and getting uh, regulators to guarantee them access to the incumbents' networks, all they need to do. Then they can beat up the incumbents to tell them to say they've got to invest more. And as long as you're guaranteed access to the incumbent, then you know you're never at a competitive disadvantage. And then you just, you wait for the incumbents to make the investment for both of you. So rather than coming up with a way to, you know, get that extra 17 feet or get that extra 400 feet or whatever it is, you can just go to Washington and say, I want it for free. I mean, that story is as old as any industry. And really you can't fault the businesses for doing in what's, what's in their best interest. I mean, businesses are always gonna rent seek. When, when there's so much money at stake and the government is for purchase, then great. That's what they're going to do. It's up to government to be principled once in a while to say no, to say I'm being pulled from every which way, every business wants a slice, and I'm just going to say no to all of them. Look, it's an entirely rational business decision uh, by the companies. For the government, I, I wouldn't even suggest that they're unprincipled so much as uh, 
in life, you can't have it both ways. We want more investment and we want more competition. We currently have a very competitive marketplace that encourages investment by keeping from uh, the, uh, the long arm of the regulators these fiber-based networks. The FCC wants to both change that so that the fiber-fed networks are regulated. They want to regulate them based upon the compet- a frozen look at the competitive marketplace of 2013, and for that matter, a flawed look at the marketplace of 2013, as these recent filings by the cable companies provide, uh, demonstrate. What you will get is you will get companies like Verizon getting out of the investing in infrastructure business, uh, or at least in the, in the wired infrastructure. They're, they're terrific and robust in their wireless. But uh, we are skewing investment decisions in the marketplace to the detriment of consumers uh, because we also want to create more competition over an already competitive marketplace. In my mind, those who are pushing these regulations aren't uh, uh, motivated by bad reasons. They're not bought and paid for by the, uh, by the companies that are seeking their help. They're just simply wrong. And what they're going to do is they're going to starve a marketplace based on investment of investment. So to wrap up the show, uh, the FCC put out its proposal. I think um, public comments on the special access proceeding are due in a few weeks, I think at the end of, uh, of July. Where do you see this going? I mean, we've seen so many 3-2 partisan votes in the FCC. Is this basically a done deal or is there any hope to avoiding the situation that you're worried about where the most innovative and high-speed area of the broadband e- ecosystem, which is... Uh, fiber and to a certain extent cable as they upgrade to Doxis 3.1 and other things that they're doing. Is there any way to avoid this or is it, are we basically going to get the s- same regulations on copper as we have on fiber and there's nothing we can do about it? So uh, I've been working in this town more than two decades and uh, I love government. Uh, the key to my remaining an optimist is I think there's always a chance. Um, there is no doubt that three of the votes, the three Democrats start into this proceeding based upon comments they've made um, believing that we have insufficient competition. At the same time, the data is the data. And as I read it, and as I read the analyses of it, I find it personally overwhelming. It's so clear that we have a competitive marketplace. The data they're looking at demonstrates that, let alone, as we've seen from these uh, subsequent filings, the factual data from the current marketplace. Uh, and it remains my hope that the uh, the three Democratic commissioners are, are good folks and they uh, they ultimately want to do the right thing. And I believe the data will convince them as it would convince any objective observer that it is a competitive marketplace, that cable is meaningfully viable, that we have very few uh, market areas with, with insufficient competition. And therefore, I'm hoping they're going to conclude based upon the most recent data, these regulations are not needed. And uh, if the FCC simply ignores the data and uh, presses ahead and ignores the comments that are made in the filings, which may, might include new data that contradicts their legal reasoning, that could be a recipe for yet another lawsuit. And it seems like almost everything the FCC does these days, there's a lawsuit. So who knows what will happen. But uh, I, I appreciate your optimism and we'll see what happens. Uh, maybe Congress will step in. Uh, who knows? Uh, but that's it for today's show. My guest has been Bruce Melman, co-chairman of the Internet Innovation Alliance. Bruce, thanks for joining the show. Thanks for having me. Uh, send us an email at media at techfreedom.org. We always like to hear your feedback, uh, thoughts on the show, guests you want to hear, uh, topics you want to hear about. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, find this podcast in the iTunes store where you can leave us a review because it'll help others find the show. And thanks for listening. Tech Policy Podcast is produced and distributed by Tech Freedom, a nonpartisan nonprofit think tank in Washington, D.C. To learn more about our work, 
make a tax-deductible donation, or find other episodes, find us online at techfreedom.org.